Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, Almighty God, for this time that we can gather here as your people to hear your word proclaimed. May it speak to our hearts so that we can speak to your world in Jesus' name. Amen. In my 21 years of ministry, my in-depth, non-completely non-scientific survey of people across the, the years has told me this. The hardest time in your life is middle school. No doubt about it. I mean, and if you think back, you can totally agree. We've got some middle schoolers here. The hardest time of your life, middle school. And here's why. First of all, I remember when I dropped both of my girls up uh, dropped them off at middle school, Pleasant Hill, right across the street. When I picked them up that afternoon, two totally different people got in my car. Everything had changed. And part of it is, all of a sudden, you're thrust into this world where you change classes every time the bell rings. So you're with different groups of people all day long. And you don't have a teacher following you around. So you're kind of left to your own devices some parts of the day, you know? And not only that, I believe that it's during middle school when we start noticing differences. Now, don't get me wrong. In elementary school, you kind of notice some, and there's always that different kid in your class, you know. But they're really different. But in middle school, we start noticing even the little things, the things that set us apart. Because in middle school, you want to be in one of two groups. You either want to be the popular kid or you want to be the fly on the wall. Because you definitely don't want to stand out as different than other people, right? Now, when I was in middle school, I lived in Orangeburg, not too far away from here, and I went to Orangeburg Prep, a private school. Now, this was not because my parents were just rolling in money. I was raised by a pastor and a teacher. My mother was actually a teacher there, so I'm pretty sure we got some hefty scholarships. So that's, that's where I went. Now, the other kids, many of them, their parents were not teachers and pastors, doctors and lawyers and business moguls. I mean, they were kids that actually got dropped off at school by their limo driver. And so one of the things that happens in middle school is that you are allowed to start choosing your own clothes. You pick out what you wear. And so what do you want to wear? What everybody else is wearing. So when I was in middle school, the big thing at that place was polo shirts, like this one. Now, this polo shirt is nice, right? You know, we've seen it. Except for that was totally unacceptable. And why? Because it did not have this on it. <laughs> Can you tell the difference? That little, tiny, half-inch polo player. If it didn't have that, it didn't count. It had to have one of these on there because that made the difference. It had to be a polo shirt. And oh, by the way, if it was cut tag, in other words, your mom got it at TJ Maxx or somewhere like that, well, then that wasn't good enough either. Kids would literally look in the back of your shirt to see if you had the right kind of polo shirt. And if that's not enough, we had to have the right shoes too. Sebagos were in style back then. And I actually went online today and I found the actual shoe that, that was so popular back then. And here it is. Do you remember these? All leather with the, with the yellow and brown shoelaces. And they were awesome. And, and I just had to have a pair of these. But you know what's wrong with them? Look at that. 
Those aren't Sebagos, those are Eastlands. Again, completely unacceptable in the middle school world because it had the wrong tag on it. And if it doesn't have the Sebago tag, good Lord, it was just ugly. It had to be the right shoes. My parents actually made the mistake of getting me knockoff Sebagos. I just wanted to hide in a hole, you know. Totally awful. Because these are the things that made us like everybody else. And that's what you wanted. And so, because those differences, they not only set you apart, they set others apart from you. And unfortunately, it's not something that we completely grow out of, is it? We still have our own style, our own opinions, our own way of doing things. And then there are those people over there who are different. You know, the people that don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't live where we live. They don't have the accent that we have. They don't drive the cars that we drive or have the job that we have. They don't have the same marital status or kids. These are things that we look at that make us different. I mean, in, in this day and time, we know that one of the biggest deals is what politics you have. And if you want to know somebody's politics, all you have to do is go on Facebook because I'm sure they'll spill it all over there, right? And so what we do is we find ourselves more attracted to the people that are like us. The people that we have things in common with. And the people that don't, well, they're out there. But it's not just in our daily lives. It's in the church world too. I mean, churches are filled with people who look like us and talk like us and, and act like us. Oh, and dress like us too, because make no mistake, every church has an unwritten dress code, if you haven't figured that out. Even our two services have different dress codes. I mean, I, I wear different clothes to the different services. And then, if you go to a different congregation, even if it's a different Lutheran congregation, there's certain way things are done and not done. And then if you go to a different denomination a different religion, everything's done differently. And so as we see this, it's just one more thing that sets us apart from other people and sets them apart from us. I mean, folks, this has been going on since the beginning of time. I mean, look, 2,000 years ago, John, this little tattletale of an apostle, goes up to Jesus and he's like, Hey, Jesus, we saw this guy who was casting out demons in your name, but don't worry, we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Did you catch that? He went up to Tattletail Jesus, and you know he was like, man, I'm going to get extra brownie points from the Lord for this one. But did you notice what he said? He didn't say, we tried to stop him because he wasn't following you. No. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. This guy wasn't like us. He needs to do what we do. He needs to, to say what we say. He's different. And so he doesn't belong. This is an apostle saying that someone else doesn't belong. And, and so here's Jesus giving a, a response that totally, I'm sure, was unexpected. He said, no, 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 don't stop him. Because no one can do a deed of power in my name one minute and then the next minute speak badly of me. Who isn't against us is for us. And then he goes on to say, look. If any of you are a stumbling block to any of these little ones, any of these new believers, it would be better for you to have a great millstone. 
Now, a millstone is five feet tall, five feet wide, and about two feet thick. A millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. That's pretty serious, isn't it? For those of you who think it's a good idea to, to call out other people's differences and say they don't belong, it, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck. And all these opinions, all these prejudices that you have, if you have a hand that causes you to sin, cut it off. If you've got a foot that, makes, that gets you in trouble, cut it off. If, if one of your eyes gets you in, in trouble, pluck it out. It would be better for you to go into heaven with one hand, one, one leg, and one eye than it would be to have two of each and go to hell. Because those are the things, my friends, if we have opinions, if we have thoughts, if we have prejudices that separate us from other people, that get in the way of our faith, or worse yet, their faith, we got to get rid of it. we got to get rid of these things that separate us, that, that, that make us look at each other and think, no, that person doesn't belong here. That person doesn't belong with me. Because then Jesus goes on to say, you all be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, you know, what good is it? Therefore, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one, one another. Well, Misty Edit totally described how useful salt is. And what I think Jesus is saying here is this. Look, salt seasons, right? If you don't have salt, it's bland. Because how many of you enjoy fries without salt on them? Popcorn without salt on them is disgusting. It's just like a fluff of nothing, right? I mean, we have salt to season things, to make things better. I believe that what Jesus is saying is that we need all these different people to make it salty, to make it seasoned. Because otherwise, it's just bland. See, I think that's one of the problems that the church has found itself in especially in recent years, but it's probably uh, amounted from the history uh, and the centuries that we've done this because we found it very commendable somehow to separate ourselves from everybody else, to say who's in and who's out. And we don't just do it on the congregational level. We do it on the denominational level. We do it on the church-wide level. We say, hey, you know what? If you want to be like us, you got to dress this way you got to act this way. you got to be in our group. you got to do these things and say these things in order to be like us. And so we have been so busy telling everybody else who doesn't belong that they shouldn't be here that so many people have been burned out by this thing that we call church. Even though our Lord has told us time and time again that we should be the exact opposite way we need salt among ourselves you've heard me say before I need what you have you need what I have we need what they have because that's what makes us great when we're putting all of our gifts into this wonderful salad bowl that we call the church that's when the magic really happens that's when God's word comes alive when we're all together so I want, I want you to do something. And I often, you know, offer a challenge to the congregation during sermons. And this is probably the most difficult one I have ever said. 
I want you to find someone who's not like you and build a relationship with that person. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Someone who isn't like you. Someone who doesn't look like you. Somebody who doesn't vote like you. Somebody who, who is not from where you're from. Somebody different from you. And build a relationship. And when you build that relationship, just a word of advice. Start on what makes you alike. And I don't care who it is, where they are. You start at the position that they are a beloved child of God. Because we all are. We are all beloved children of God. That's what makes us the same. That's what brings us all together. It's not our clothing. It's not our nationality. It's not how much money we have in the bank. It's the fact that we are loved and, and saved by the one true God. Each and every one of us. And after we, we come together then, then as we build this relationship... Then we will notice our differences and not, and, and not in such a way that it will separate us, but in a way that we can celebrate those differences because we can see for a fact that, that that's what seasons the world. That's what makes us salty. That's what makes us great. Because if we don't have all of these seasonings together, all we are are nasty, bland french fries. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Go out, meet somebody different than you. They are a beloved child of God. You are a beloved child of God. And we are all needed in this salad bowl we call life. Amen.